This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is a crowd podcast. There are some songs that grow on you gradually let you find them at your own pace. And there are others that reach out and grab you, like someone starting a fight. Highway to Hell is definitely one of those. It's about hitting the speed limit and careering through the stop signs. Blazing sunshine and scorched tarmac. Screeching tyres and clouds of dust. About going down in flames. The way everyone wants to go, right? But it's the singer who really makes the song. He's a scraggly little man, the kind of bloke you'd find propping up against the bar in a dead-end town, squaring up to you after one too many. He's got crooked teeth and a ratty face, lions and dragons tattooed on his arms. His voice is like sandpaper, grinding and screeching against your ears. In the real world, you'd be scared of him. But in the world of rock and roll, he's perfect. He tells you he's heading down, down into damnation, and he's loving every minute of it. It's a boast, but it's a battle cry too. Against a world that's spinning in the wrong direction. Other bands are telling you how shit your life is telling you to lash out and embrace the despair. But this guy, he's showing you a different way. Live life to the max and screw what everyone else thinks. Before you know it, you're shaking your head and stamping your feet, shouting the chorus as soon as you know the words. You're ready to strap yourself in and join him on his final ride. But there are things you don't know. You don't know that this guy is trying to get out that he's trapped in a cycle of uppers and downers, benders and comedowns. That he wants to quit this life, but everyone else is keeping him strapped in. You don't know that he's about to crash and burn, for real. The final turn is just a few weeks away. And it won't come on some kick-ass desert highway. It'll come on a dark winter's night, in the squarest suburb you can imagine. Not exactly the kind of place rock stars are supposed to die. The end of the road will be strange and sinister too. There'll be dark little paths that trip you up. Twists and turns that take you back to where you started. This is supposed to be a simple story. Rock and roll at its finest. But the more you find out, the less you understand. This is Death of a Rockstar. Bon Scott. 
Who is the real Bon Scott? Is it the sex addict who has orgies with ten women at once? The guy who walks around with one hand on a bottle of bourbon and the other on a woman's chest? Or is it the bloke who bombards his girlfriends with love letters, says all the groupies make him sick, tells them about his plans to settle down and enjoy the quiet life? Is it the sleazebag who tells filthy stories about native Australian women? Or is it the one who loves reading feminist authors who write about racism in Africa? Is it the reformed character who tells you it's just a quiet one tonight? Or the party monster who jumps onto the bar five minutes later and starts shouting for you to get up and join him? His personalities haven't just split, they've turned on one another, snarling, grappling for control. The angel and the demon. And you never know which one will show up. There's one part of Bond that never changes, though. One role that always fits. The outsider. The immigrant who gets to Australia at six years old and never really blends in. The boy who grows up short and skinny in a land of bronzed beefcakes. Who plays bagpipes in his dad's band while everyone else is hitting the beach. He's not even really called Bon. His real name's Ronald. But his schoolmates decide Bon Scott sounds funny when they're taking the piss out of his weird British accent. Maybe that's why he's always getting into scraps, lashing out when people get too close. But maybe it's why he wants everyone to love him too. Maybe it's why he dreams of becoming a rock star, because he can make people fear him and adore him. And that dream? It's always with him. When he's sent to prison for brawling and stealing, when he's kicked out of the army called socially maladjusted, when he's forced to do boring jobs like making fertiliser, it never leaves. He starts his first band when he's 17 and slowly he starts to get recognised. He co-headlines with Black Sabbath, wins a trip to the UK, gets a cult following. The English people, English crowds, European audiences, the whole thing, you know, it's great. But then the demon emerges like it always does. There's a barrage of sea bombs hurled towards the band, a door slamming as a bottle hits the floor, a motorbike veering out of control, glass and bones shattered across the road. The crash leaves Bon in a coma for days. When he comes out, he can barely walk. And his wife? She's already run. He's back to sleeping on couches, his dream in ruins. It looks like the highway's already hit a dead end, but a new one's about to open up. Angus and Malcolm Young are outsiders. They're Scottish, school dropouts, just like Bon, and they make him look like a giant. Malcolm, he's the tallest, and he's only five foot three. These two are desperate to succeed, even more than Bon, and they've already got their own band. The name comes from the sewing machine their sister used, and for them, it's perfect. ACDC. High voltage. Jagged lines cutting across your vision. Bolts of lightning leaping from one place to the next, never slowing down. They're worried that Bon won't be able to keep up. He's ten years older than them, after all. But Bon's desperate. There's nowhere else for him to go. 
it's shit or bus time. They start in the middle of nowhere. Their first gigs in this little village hall next to Botany Bay, the place where the British first sent their convicts. But then they start moving. They put on four gigs a day, touring where no other band will go. The schools, the dive bars, the working men's clubs. They tour Australia for two years straight, diving from one crash pad to the next. And every gig's 100 miles an hour, like it's the first one they did. The young's running round the stage, Bon in the middle. Then Angus does this face-melting solo at the end, sitting on Bon's shoulders, sweat spraying everywhere. With every gig they do, the sound gets sharper. Relentless riffs that hit you in the chest. Hard chords with a dash of blues to soften the landing. These songs don't open your eyes or change the way you think. They don't inspire protests or make you feel guilty for not caring. They're about love, sex and boozing. That's it. Just getting laid and getting loaded. Classic rock and roll. And Bon... He's a classic rock and roll star. He's got his look nailed now. Vest, no shirt, pants so tight they'll look like they've been painted on. All those manual jobs have got him fit and strong. And he's wild too. He jumps off the speakers into the crowd. You'll have seen some mad rock stars before. But this guy, he makes the rest of them look like they're still practising. His voice is amazing. That motorcycle crash has actually made it better, more harsh and gravelly. And his lyrics make you laugh and squirm at the same time. Toilet poetry, that's what he calls them. He sings about women's genitals, about STDs. Slowly, record people start to notice. There's a deal with Atlantic Records, some minor hits. And then finally, there's the breakthrough. But before that, we're going to take a quick ad break. Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. I've got a podcast called .com, the documentary series about the people of the internet. And I just want to let you know that Series 2 is out now. It blasts open the door on Reddit, the front page of the internet. It's kooky. To me, Reddit is one of the last bastions of actual communities online. It's sinister. Reddit has really always prided itself on being the mirror that it holds up to society, right? That society has a lot of imperfections and messiness and destruction and violence, but there's so much good there as well. It's some of the biggest, most shocking stories of the century. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian family. I feel like every time there's some big scandal going on, Reddit is 100% a contributor and an antagonist to it. Just search for .com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe now. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. 
Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious podcast. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar and the remarkable story of Bon Scott. Now, let's talk about that breakthrough in all its messy glory. Highway to Hell's about a road in Australia, a road that leads to a bar in the middle of nowhere. It's where the band goes to get hammered when they're back home. But really, it could be about any bar, about any one. OK, bit of context. It's the late 1970s. Britain was in its worst economic crisis. Economies are tanking all over the world. For Khomeini, the flight marked the end of 15 years. There's revolution in Iran. The man who from long distance had led the revolution. Tanks in Afghanistan. Unlike Vietnam, a guerrilla war, not all rebels could agree how to win. Nuclear tests in the Soviet Union. The optimism of the 60s has faded into something much darker. Punk is running wild, feeding on all the anger that's out there. But this song is something different. It's angry, sure, but it's happy too. It's telling you to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Forget all the crap that's happening, just buckle up and enjoy the ride. The song breaks the US top 100, then the top 50. Suddenly, ACDC are being played everywhere. Finally, Bond's dreams are coming true. But there's other stuff going on too, if you really listen to the lyrics. In between all the smutty innuendos, Bond tells you he's skint and he's lonely. When he's not boasting about his mad rock and roll life, he opens up about empty bottles and empty beds. In one song, Down Payment Blues, he even tells you he's living in a nightmare. Trouble is, no one's interested in listening to Bond's troubles. All they want is the sex and the parties, the stuff rock stars are supposed to sing about. No one cares that Bond's exhausted, that he's got to perform like a maniac every night then get up and do all the press stuff the next day. There's a new uh, pop group in uh, England called the Sex Pistols. People are saying that they're muddling themselves anew. Is that correct? Don't know them. 
I see us as music, I see punk rock as nothing. The youngs are shy and awkward, so Bon has to be the face of the band. They need Bon. But then again, maybe they don't. You see, the youngs aren't just desperate, they're ruthless. They're always sacking band members, trying out new combos. And the record label's pushing for a new lead singer, someone a bit more steady, more middle of the road. So Bon starts worrying. Every night's a trial, a chance to be a hero, but a chance to lose it all too. And even after all this success, he's still poor, trapped in a bad contract. He's always on the road and he hasn't even got a home to go back to. So he drinks more. Whiskey's his favourite, but he'll throw anything down his neck, anything to get off his head. And there's more too, things that don't make it into his songs. If Bon wants a high, he does coke, like everyone else in music. It's flooding in from South America. The downers, they're harder to get, but you can always find them if you know the right people. It's a constant loop. Pills to take the edge off, coke to get back to the party. Boozing every night, no matter whether he's rising or sinking. And if Bon really needs to escape, there's heroin. It's everywhere, in America, Australia. His on-off girlfriend, Silver Smith, the one he's always writing to, she even deals it. Bon wants to stop, really he does. He promises the band he's going to get straight, even tries therapy to get clean. But nothing works. Not even when he ODs on smack and nearly dies, when the band threatens to kick him out. When the record company starts upping the stakes, telling the youngs to try someone new, none of it works. All it does is increase the pressure. There are no support groups or rehab centres, not for people like Bon. And everywhere he goes, people expect him to be the character they've seen on stage. Middle-class kids who want to rebel. Teenage girls who want a first notch on their bedpost. There's always someone to drink with. Someone to sleep with. Someone who'll ride shotgun on the next leg of Bond's journey. He should be slowing down. Taking it easy. But he keeps going faster. Speeding towards the end. Bond's in London when the road suddenly disappears. He should be basking in the success of Highway to Hell, but he's burnt out. He's sick of all the touring, all the cheap sex, the empty fame. He's even been getting paranoid, saying he thinks someone's going to hurt him when he messes up on stage. And he knows he's on borrowed time. The doctors have told him about the damage to his liver, warned him what will happen if he carries on like this. But there's a new dream now, the dream of one big payday. Bond's already told his friends he wants to quit and he's started scoping out ranches in California. If he can just do one more album, maybe that'll give him the money he needs to leave all of this behind. So he's been in the recording studio with the rest of the band, putting down lyrics, working on riffs, and now he needs to let off some steam. According to the official version of the story, him and his mate, a guy called Alistair, go to this club in Camden called The Music Machine, where some of their friends are playing. Lonesome No More, that's what they're called. Ironic, when you think about it. 
Bond gets wasted. Seven double whiskies. And that's just the chaser. Even by his standards, this is a heavy night. Alistair drives him back to a place Bond's renting in Victoria, in the middle of London. But when he gets there, he realises Bond's out of it. He lets himself into Bond's flat, rings Silver. But she's not there. So he decides to drive Bond to his place in East Dulwich, this little suburban village halfway out the city. Bond can sleep in the car. He'll come inside when he's ready. But when Alistair wakes up and goes to check on Bond, he realises something's gone badly wrong. Bond's still slumped in the car, and he's not breathing. Alistair drives him to the hospital. Maybe there's still time. Maybe this will just become another of Bond's crazy anecdotes. But no one's going to want to tell this one again. Bond's pronounced dead as soon as the doctors see him. Choked on his own vomit. Must have happened during the night. The same way Hendrix went. The way John Bonham will go. Classic rock and roll. Just like everything else Bond did, right? Even the coroner's verdict sounds darkly appropriate. Death by Misadventure. Could be the title of an ACDC album, that, couldn't it? But then you look a little deeper, and you see there are holes in the story. Little glitches that don't make sense. When the doctors examined Bon, they found bruises on his neck. When the caretaker went round to Bon's flat, the lights and the radio were still on. When the coroner filed Bon's death certificate, he put an address that didn't actually exist. So you start asking other questions too. Why didn't Alistair carry Bon into his own flat instead of driving miles away? Why did he drive him to the hospital instead of calling an ambulance? And why did no passers-by notice this famous rock star slumped in the back of a parked car? Other people have picked up on these things too. Maybe there were others there that night, people who've been edited out of the story. Maybe it wasn't alcohol at all. Maybe it was heroin. Not the death of a rock god, but a junkie. It's something that would change Bond's legacy forever, but no one who matters is paying attention. They never are when it comes to Bond. Who cares about the truth when there's a legend to be preserved? ACDC think about jacking it all in, until they don't. Instead, they just find a new singer, a Geordie called Brian Johnson. He's not as good as Bond, but he sounds similar, and by now, that's all they need. Someone who can give them a Bond Scott tribute act. The band goes into the stratosphere, Back in Black. That album Bond was working on the day before he died goes platinum 25 times over. The money starts pouring in, and Bond's replacement, Johnson, he makes £50 million with his own Bond tribute act. After everything that Bond did, everything he sacrificed to get the band their break, it's someone else who gets the life he dreamt about. The fans, they still love him. Classic Rock says he's the greatest frontman of all time, ahead of Jagger, Mercury, Plant. Even now, more than 40 years after his death, people still make the pilgrimage to Bond's grave. But they're still getting him wrong. Fans leave cans of beer and bottles of whiskey at his grave, thinking that's what he'd have wanted. 
Maybe you did, some of the time, but not always. Lost in the music. Lost in his own myth. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Gareth Platt and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we used the archives of Forbes, Kerrang, Rolling Stone, Classic Rock and the NME. We read Bon, The Last Highway by Jesse Fink. And we spoke to Jesse and his fellow author, Clinton Walker. The music we used is from our partners, BMG Production Music. But if you want some classic Bon, Try Bad Boy Boogie, High Voltage, or Let There Be Rock. And of course, you have to listen to Highway to Hell. If you enjoyed this podcast, we've got a favour to ask. Leave us a nice review in your podcast app. It really means a lot to us. Or if you'd like another podcast to listen to, try our episode about another iconic frontman, Freddie Mercury. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.